Good Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast, our season review podcast today, taking a look at the BYU game. Joined by Jesse Simonton, Austin Price, and Rob Lewis. Again, check out Blue Water Climate Control at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. You can find them on Twitter at blueh2o underscore climate. Again, talking about Tennessee's overtime loss to BYU and kind of what we learned in that game uh, moving forward for Tennessee. Guys, in, in re-watching it, the, the biggest thing I can see is Tennessee just didn't finish. No reason why Tennessee should have lost this game. Just no reason at all. They, they should have they should have beat this BYU team by, by two scores, in my opinion, upon rewatch. Yeah, yeah no, I mean this is this is the ahead, game sir. that Jeremy this is the game that Jeremy Pruitt said afterwards, you know, it's hard to figure out how you lose that game and then he starts thinking about it. And and he just ended the sentence after that. Um it was dumbfounding. And it wasn't just Alante's gaff uh, on the 63-yard play. I mean, there's multiple times where Tennessee, who'd rushed for 250 yards in this game, couldn't get a yard, whether it was the end around to Josh Palmer, which was completely blown up uh, on missed timing with, with Austin Pope and, and the snap with Garantano. There was the second and four play where Brandon Kennedy gets knocked back three yards. Um, so, you know, Ty Chandler gets put on his butt and then they can't convert a, a third or fourth and one, excuse me. So you make any of those plays, you probably win the game. Like Cubs said, you probably should have won by a couple touchdowns. Um, but it was, it was a game that Tennessee, they let a, a team hang around and ultimately BYU just took it from them, you know, both in the fourth quarter and then obviously in double overtime. Yeah, the, the the rushing Jesse is what stood out to me the most on the on the rewatch. Like some of the holes, I mean, some of the, I mean, just I, you know, I, there were some short yardage issues as you point out, but also it's, I mean, it's a game where Tennessee rushed for you know went well over two hundred yards. There was you know Ty Chandler had some huge runs. Eric Gray showed up, had some huge runs. It just looked, you know, it just felt like Tennessee was controlling the line of scrimmage for the most part, and um, you know when when that's the case especially against a non-Power 5 conference team. And I'm not – no disrespect to BYU. They're a good program. I've been for years. But the, just the, the physicality aspect of Tennessee, the, the advantage they had up front and, and to lose that game, that, that, that's what stood out to me maybe more than anything on rewatch other than perhaps some, some questionable fourth down calls all throughout the game. But for me, for me, guys, it was realistically just the play at the quarterback position. I mean, Jarrett struggled. You go back to the first drive, he throws a beautiful pass there to Jawan on the first uh, series where he fits it in. They end up scoring, but easily could have thrown two other picks as one went through the safety's hands and then the other one gets batted up and Jawan catches it. To me, that was just kind of, you know, a microcosm of how he played, you know, there early in the year. And, uh, and of course, that, that interception there to start the second half was as bad as he did anything all year last year. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, Jeremy, I, one of the takeaways, and I remembered this as I started watching the game and reading some of the stuff that we had written, what I had written, um, but it's even evident really when you watch it back. Uh, this is, Jeremy was as, as mad as we've ever seen him after this game. Um, you know, he was spitting some fire and fury and he was pretty despondent and, and just completely miffed at how they lost it. But in the game, you could tell how mad he was at different points of the game with his team, whether it was a defensive gap here when Kavaris Crouch 
you know, runs into the wrong spot. So BYU gets a long touchdown or right before halftime to Austin's point about Garantano, he missed two touchdowns and, and, you know, Pruitt couldn't believe it. First, he misses the one when he double clutches four times when Jawan's wide open down the seam. And then he, and then Pruitt just completely got in his grill when he didn't throw the ball to Palmer, you know, two plays later. And that was a microcosm. I mean, they did not get good quarterback play. He was bad for the second straight game. He by by the end of this game, he'd, he'd thrown for as many interceptions, uh, you know, as he had all of last season through the first two weeks of the season. He also had two or three, as AP said, dropped, including two in the second half. I mean, he tried to throw two balls. Uh, it was almost a pick six when Tennessee hit the, the go ahead field goal to go up sixteen. Uh, you know that was that. I mean, he threw they, he throws an out route to. Jawan that Jawan was double covered you know I mean there was there was no there was no lane there and then in late in the game he tries to fit one into a DWA and again uh should have been picked off BYU got their hands on it just didn't just didn't finish the play but not a great game I do think positively if we're kind of you know projecting forward uh this was the game that really Eric Gray kind of showed that I thought that he was the better back now Ty ran for more yards um but but Gray kind of did some stuff with less room to work with. Ty had a couple huge holes. Uh, Eric Gray, I thought, showed his value. Now, for whatever reason, he didn't touch the ball more than 10 times for the next basically 10 weeks of the season uh, or eight weeks of the season and then before the you know end of the year. But I thought he really kind of showed his skill set in this game. Yeah, I thought, I thought that, and again, it prompted the question for me that we're going to discuss in the coming weeks. Where did he go? You know, why the disappearing act for Eric Gray for essentially a month out of the season, uh, which is, uh, again, a set of questions we'll talk about as we progress into SEC play, because I thought he was the guy with more wiggle. I, in rewatching the Ty Chandler long run, I kind of wondered if Eric Gray would have scored on that play. You know, I don't yep. know that he would have. It's probably not fair to Ty, but, but I do wonder. You know, certainly the Tennessee sideline thought it was a house call, and and then the BYU defender had an angle. The other thing that stood out to me in watching this, and it it was a little bit of a carryover from the Georgia State game as well, and that is the force to DWA. I mean, it was was like this commitment to force the ball to him in the middle of the football field, And, and that's what got, to me, got Jared in trouble um, in the first game a little bit, and certainly was the result of the interception. Even in the red zone, it was like, we got to get it to DWA. There was a real force there. There were three people well, there. There was. I mean, you, you go back to the first. And he threw it into triple coverage. And then the interception to start the second half, to me, was very reminiscent of the play to Jawan against Indiana where he just, for, you knew he was going, everybody in the house knew he was going to Jawan, but he was going to force it there anyways. He forced it to DWA and there's four guys sitting there and the one guy undercut it and, and, and took it back. So, I mean, like I, one of those, you know, sometimes you just, that I feel like whether it's, I don't know if it's just Jarrett or it's just the game plan, you know, round peg, square hole, and we're just going to keep jamming it to, in, into it no matter what. Sometimes, you know, I feel like they did not adapt early in the year, especially to what the defense was giving them. And in, and to your point, I think this is a perfect instance of that. Now, this game also, I will say, in terms of projecting forward, this game I really do think, and I, I believe this even for coming into the 2020 season, it, it shows the margins and the, the little room of error that Tennessee has to play with. 
Tennessee lost confidence. Jim Chaney lost confidence in Garantano after that interception to start the third quarter. He basically took the ball out of his hands. Now, Tennessee was running the ball fairly effectively, especially, obviously, in the first half. But when you go, and by my count, I wrote it down, nine runs on 11 plays, you know, I mean, you become one-dimensional. And that's why Tennessee, to, to, to you know, Hubs's point, should have won by two touchdowns but couldn't put the game away because they had no faith in their quarterback. And when your receivers are, the, you know, probably the best thing you have on offense and you basically put them on the sideline too, uh, it allows BYU to get back in the game. Tennessee has to settle for field goals. The red zone woes in this game were as bad as they were in the Georgia State game. Uh, and it just – it all culminated, obviously, in, into what happened at the end with Alante and then, you know, just not showing up in, in overtime. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want to pile on Jarrett. I mean, it's easy to do from this game. But in addition to the interception that AP just talked about where he threw it, basically what was triple coverage, didn't see the linebacker, there were two times – and, and one in overtime when, when Tennessee had to settle for the field goal. It was third and 10, third and 11, and he threw, threw it the flat. You know, not even forget about not throwing it past the sticks, threw it behind the line of scrimmage to a back. And I, I mean, those are the kind of things I'm sure that, um, you know, made Jim Chaney's head explode in the press box. Yeah. I mean, at, at this point, if you're Jim Chaney and you're walking out of that game, you got to be thinking, we're not even, we're not even a thought, we're not even a possibility of what I thought we could be back in the preseason. I mean, I remember a conversation we had back with him in the summer where he was all fired up about DWA being one of his best weapons, you know, and, and clearly they were trying to get it to him, but but they, they couldn't get the ball to him. And, and when they did, it ended up in, in bad things. I'm still surprised that there's no Callaway in the red zone. Everything in the, his red zone package early in the year was in the middle of the football field, which was a really surprise to me considering – that's where all the traffic is, and your timing has to be perfect if you're working between the hash marks in the red zone. We saw that, you know, the touchdown they got lucky on with the tip ball, uh, and then the other balls that were late in the red zone, they didn't get completed because the ball was late. The timing was just off, and it has to be perfect in the middle of the field in the red zone. Yeah, and I will say this, you know, in terms of, again, spinning it forward, uh, this was the game that I think they really figured out and decided – hell, we need to run behind Austin Pope. Yep. And and he played a career-high 51 snaps up until this point. He played more snaps as the, in the coming weeks. But at this point in his career, this was the most snaps he'd ever played in the game. I don't know how many times they called it, but they probably ran that stretch, you know, outside zone, you know, 20-something times in this game. That was the big plays they got from, from Ty both times. And they were just running behind you know, uh, Austin Pope and, and, you know, it worked so well because BYU refused to kind of adjust and, and they stuck in that three, three, five, uh, scheme that they were in. So Tennessee consistently had a numbers advantage a lot of times out there, which again, made it all the more mystifying how a, that they got kind of gimmicky and cute Jim Cheney did, uh, with the end around and trying to slam it straight up the middle on some of those fourth and ones and third and shorts. Uh, but B, you know, this is something I think you're going to see a lot more next season, which is who's going to be the number two tight end with Austin Pope, because these were all in 12 personnel. You know, I went back and looked it up. Tennessee ran 12 personnel in this game over almost 65% of the snaps. Uh, right now we have no idea who Tennessee's second tight end is, but they're going to need to find one or else this is, you know, um, a scheme that they may not have in the, in the arsenal. Well, and I, and to me that this, 
this game and others early in the year was a was a perfect example of why Tennessee did need a bigger back, and which is why you saw Clavaris Crouch ascend into that role, to that short yardage role, because Tennessee, you know, struggled to pick up second and ones. They struggled to pick up third and ones. Yeah, they were able to run the ball effectively uh, against BYU, but in, in short yardage situations when BYU knew they were going to run it, Tennessee did have some problems. And fourth and one. I mean, no bigger start of the second quarter. I mean, you go back. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's easy to pick it, pick it apart now. But fourth and one on BYU's nineteen yard line. Eric Gray, you know, they they elect to go for it. And again, I mean, it's easy to go back ten months later and pick it apart. But they kick a field goal there. I mean, those three points are enormous at the end of the game. I mean, obviously Eric Gray didn't get it. He got he got stuffed in the line of scrimmage. But if you just get three points there, he wouldn't. I mean. Who knows how the rest of the game plays out, but that would have been a uh, pretty significant to say the least. And Hubbard, I, I meant to ask you this earlier. Do you remember a game where Tennessee lost where they had a running back rush for 150 yards? Uh, yeah, you got to go back to, to me is, the one that stands out the most. Brown. You got to go back to 2000 Florida, where where Travis Henry okay. ran for a gazillion yards, and and the AJ Suggs pick six to Leto so, Shepard uh, ended up being the difference in the game. Uh, so, in so basically. Once every 20 years. Doesn't happen very often. I mean, it's probably happened another time, but that's the one that jumps out to me the most where Tennessee was dominant on the ground and did not win the football game. And, you know, they, they rushed for 242 yards in this game. When you do that, you, you should win the, the, the football game. Obviously, we know that there's offensive woes, and, and it take, I mean, the Tennessee battles them all season long. Two positives for – one positive for me on defense is – you saw what Henry T was going to be. I mean, he was much more comfortable in this game than he was in the first game, even without Batuli beside him. The other thing that jumps out to me in watching this game, how did Nigel Warrior become an all-conference player at the end of the year based on the way he played the first two games, particularly in this game? I mean, I've never been one of those who, like, Whoa, the light bulb came on for him. Like he woke up one morning with some epiphany of, hey, I'm going to be a good football player. But how Nigel Warrior went from the guy that he was the first two weeks of the season to being the, one of the best safeties in the SEC at the end of the year is, is damn near one of the more amazing things I've seen in a college football season at Tennessee. It is. It is. And the, the whole secondary outside, honestly, of Theo Jackson in this game were bad. Obviously, I mean, Alante had the gaff. Warren Burrell got picked on again. And, and as you said, Nigel was, was uh, not the same Nigel Warrior that, for whatever reason, we saw in the next 10 weeks of the season. Um, really, I, I, you could probably say eight weeks. I, I, again, spinning it forward and what we know, I think Jeremy realized – and we'll talk about this after what happens in two weeks at Florida. He could not have kind of the fire and brimstone I think he had in the locker room after this game because he he was he was at risk at losing his football team because he was so mad at his team after this game. You know, Jeremy up to this point, even all through year one, had never thrown a player underneath the you know under the bus, and he ran the bus straight over Alante after this game. I mean, he re- you you read back the quotes, and it's I mean, it's it's kind of it's it's you know you're like man, I, I I don't know if I'd have said that, and especially when he had a timeout. I mean, you know, if the players were confused, call a timeout. We all saw it. You know, Alante's in a cover two look or in a cover two 
base when he's, you know, basically sprinting up five yards from the line. Um, but I think Jeremy, you know, upon reflection, realized in two weeks uh, that he could not handle his football team the same way that he did after this game, which ultimately was a learning thing. And that's the reason why I think they were able to, you know, salvage the season and win six games in a row because he did not handle himself. I thought he, he looked like a new coach or a young coach after this game, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think because Austin he was in run to the tee and. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, you were talking about the fire and brimstone he had running through the tee, Austin, and, and everything he had. He looked like a coach and sounded like a coach afterwards who was just. He could not fathom that his team had, had lost that football game and didn't know how else to say it other than throwing guys under the bus and, and, and just in total disgust that they had given a football game away the way that they did. Yeah, I mean, he, he was uh, – listen, I, I get sometimes you got to coddle him. And, and obviously, you, you know, Jesse's right. He, he changed his demeanor late in the year. But at the same time, you know, when, when Alante bust as bad as he did, I think it's, you know, it's hard to sit there and just take the bullet for him. I mean, I I get, you know, you can say, well, you know, a good coach would do that. Not always. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, Jeremy realized that the game was over and they had lost and there was no kind of putting the toothpaste back in the tube. So, you know, let's make an example out of out of Alante. Of you know, and I thought Alante, you know, responded, you know, after he went kind of into a little bit of a lull there for the next few weeks bounced back and, and played his better football uh, near the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with what Pruitt did. I mean, I mean Tennessee they had a 400 yards total offense. They, you know, just dominated the game for the, for all intents and purposes. And, and one kid loses it for them. They, I, I made a point to look. BYU snapped that ball with 16 seconds left on their own 19-yard line. Yep. What are – that's <laughs> I mean that's just an improbable finish, and I mean I. It's disgusting. All, all, I remember my, being on the sideline. All my line. sympathy is with all my sympathy is with Pruitt right there. I mean I no, have no problem. Yeah. Well, I don't think Jesse's saying he has a problem with it with what Pruitt did. I think the point, and, and I think it's a fair point, is you got to learn to manage your your that that team that year, and it can't you can't play. You know, this is my standard response to everything, and, and that is, you know, throw a guy under the bus all the time. It was out of character for him to throw a guy completely under the bus the, the way that he did. I think my point is, I think it was the raw emotions of it at the time that that Jeremy struggled to to control at that point. And, you know, he, he didn't have an answer when somebody said, what happened on the la- on the final play of a regular, what happened on the Alante play? I mean... His only answer was, you know, the guy screwed up big time. Well, didn't he but, also say they played that coverage the you know, previous two or three plays? At, at yeah, the I mean, same he time, really, Alante didn't bust, you know, on those two? Well, and, that, and that's why he was, I mean, again, that was a particularly interesting press conference because Jeremy, through Hubs' point, was just so mystified that they had lost the game that he was particularly snarky. He was particularly kind of snappy um, at, at, at most all questions. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm not saying that like what him running the bus over Alante was like really bad or whatever. I'm, I just, it was out of, it was not something he had done when they had lost a bunch of games the year before. 
Uh, and it wasn't something that he did, you know, after the Florida game or the, you know, the Georgia game or whatever. It was, you know, in the moment he was so frustrated uh, that, you know, he kind of was out of character. And I do think, I do think that Jeremy and Derek Ansley, you know, share some of the responsibility for what happened there. Again, they had a timeout. They make $4 million, you know, at coaching the secondary. Um, so a guy lined up wrong. Okay. How do you survive? And and that was the big thing that was also so, you know, frustrating to Jeremy. They gave up one touchdown in regulation and then gave up. They just kind of folded in overtime. You know, that play just completely uh, took the wind out of them. Uh, and again, spinning it forward, this football team did learn how to finish, which that's going to be, I think, key again in 2020, because I expect Tennessee to play in a bunch of close games here next season. Yeah, Jesse, that's a great great point when you talk about learning how to finish because I couldn't help but think um, in rewatching it yesterday um, the, about the Mississippi State game how different I mean Tennessee had a chance to run out the clock in regulation against BYU and didn't come anywhere close to getting it done against Mississippi State they start inside their own 20 and with a lot more time on the clock but then put together what was it a 91 yard drive I think to yeah and, and, and you know there was a big play to finish it but they grinded out several first downs on the ground before that happened. And that's probably six weeks after the fact. And you could just, it just looked like a team who, to your point, was learning how to win and was just night and day from what they were when they played BYU and had that same chance in the fourth quarter and couldn't get it done. Yeah. Austin, go ahead, Austin. I was going to say uh, almost a lot like the, uh, you know, Butch is one team that, you know, that team had not learned how to win. And they, they blew all those leads in 2015. Now, it's a little different because you, you, these teams weren't blowing leads or, you know, I mean, th- that one was a blown lead by three. But, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, they weren't. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot about learning how to win and, and something that, that a portion of these kids understood because they had been through what, I, you know, we all talk about the scars. But the freshmen, the Henrys, Quavaris Crouch, they had come from winning programs. So, um, and but they still weren't, a, you know, really outside of Henry, a, a massive part of, of what this team was doing. Hey, let me quickly tell you about Blue Water Climate Control Smooth Sailing Service Plan. It's a great time to join a part of that program. Uh, you get semi-annual seasonal inspections, which you're going to get going to need here as your air conditions on one day and the heat's on the next day. Ten percent off parts and labor on all HVAC repairs an annual 40-point diagnostic uh, testing of your entire heating and air system, including the ductwork, prioritized air conditioning repair and maintenance needs, never pay overtime fees for weekend or after-hours work. They have a loyalty plan as well. For more on the Smooth Sailing Service Plan, call Blue Water Climate Control today at 865-299-2290. Don't forget to mention VolQuest. That's 865-299-2290. 2290 Blue Water Climate Control. You can reach them online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com on Twitter as well at blue h2o underscore climate. Another thing that jumped out to me, guys, in this deal is how much Tennessee blitzed in this game, particularly early. Uh, and you look at the stat sheet, there's not, I mean, other than Daryl Jackson uh, or Daryl Taylor, excuse me, who's playing outside linebacker. Nobody in that defensive front really shows up on the stat sheet other than Latrell Bumpus. It's amazing you talk about Tennessee later in the year learning how to finish and Mississippi State and even the bootleg at Kentucky to run out the clock and then, you know, rallying for the win at Indiana. The other thing is 
the growth that the defensive line makes is pretty incredible. But Jesse, through two games, that growth is not there yet with this defensive line. Tennessee's coaching staff doesn't have a ton of trust in the defensive line early in the year because we're seeing blitzes from all kinds of places, whether it's a safety blitz, a star blitz, you know, Henry T on on a linebacker blitz. I mean, Tennessee was super aggressive early in this game, blitzing on any long yarded situation. They did. Uh, They sent a lot of six man pressure. I did think that Greg Emerson flashed in this game, you know, in terms of swallowing up space to allow Henry T and Crouch uh, and some others to kind of get in the backfield. Um, I remember actually in, in looking up something that I had written, Rob Lewis and I are sitting there in the press box early in the game, uh, and we're looking at each other like, I guess BYU just didn't watch in, any film of what Georgia State did the week before because it took BYU almost three quarters uh, to start running any sort of RPOs, um, which they then ultimately had a lot of success with in the fourth quarter and, and overtime. But the pressure worked again. Uh, you, you see the potential of Henry T in this game. And, and uh, that's going to be a continued takeaway, I think, as the season goes along. And with this was not a, and a lot of folks point to the fact, oh, but Daniel Batuli missed the first two games. This was not a game that it jumps out that Daniel Batuli is not out there. No, I completely uh, agree with that. I was thinking about that as I watched it. Tennessee survives w- with no Daniel Batuli out there in this game. Um, the, the, the problem is you have some holes in the secondary. Again, Trayvon Flowers, you watch him in this game, some of BYU's big plays, it's Trayvon Flowers in the wrong spot. It's Trayvon Flowers getting swallowed up in the alley. Um, you know, who's going to be that safety opposite of Jalen McCullough, I think, is another you know big question mark for this 2020 team. Well, and I think you need you need another corner to take a step too, because clearly they're missing Bryce Thompson early in the year in this game. Burrell, as you mentioned earlier, Jesse got picked on. So Austin, who's going to be? How much does Burrell improve? Who's going to be really Tennessee's third corner, but behind Alante and behind Bryce Thompson for this season? I mean, Burrell cannot have too many scars from his freshman year. He's got to he's got to ascend there, or somebody's got to ascend and give them I some cornerback depth. And maybe it is, but somebody's got to. Well, I agree. Um, you know, and, and realistically, Warren Burrell should not have that many scars, Brent. I mean, yeah, he, he gave up some plays in those first few games, but he eventually, you know, was discarded to the bench and played only in mop-up time. So, um, Which might mean there's some you know, scars. I, I think, well, maybe, but or, or he can just take that as a learning curve, understand he was a freshman and move on. So, I, you know, I – I don't disagree with what Jesse's saying, though. I think Kenneth George, because remember, he just not played a lot of football, so I think what, what time he got in last year was very beneficial for him, and he was solid. I mean, he's not a world beater, but he also um, didn't give up big plays either. So um, I could see Kenneth George ascending into that number three spot uh, behind Bryce and Alante. All right, last, one of the last things for me that I, I think that this team's got to improve on for this coming year they cannot give up the hidden yards in the return game that they did. I, I love Marquez Callaway, but his inability to come up and field punts cost Tennessee probably 50 yards of field position in this game. Uh, one time, they, if he comes up and field it, they start in BYU territory. Instead, they started about their own 38. I, I think that whoever the punt returner is going to be, it doesn't have to be a guy who breaks a bunch of plays. But first and foremost, he's got to go field the ball. And I don't think Callaway did that in this game. 
I think that's a, something that you can kind of put an asterisk beside his career as a punt returner. Too many times letting the ball hit the ground, it cost him yards in this game. That's something else that jumped out to me. Yeah, Callaway was very – he was very deliberate when the ball was kicked with not a lot of air and and, and would go get it if, if he would go, okay, I have a chance to return this. But if, if the kind of air on he did, he, he was slow to go and get it or was real easy to let it hop, which should be the opposite. You know, I mean, I, I felt like he, he was much better when – the, the ball was kicked more on a line drive when somebody would try to rugby style kick it than he was when, you know, somebody traditionally kicked it. But you're right. I mean, that, that's hidden yardage that, you know, you don't, you don't think about, you know, over the course of the game, but it sure pays, uh, you pay a price for it when, when it goes against you. No doubt. And then, and then the final thing for me, Jesse, and, and anybody could jump in here with anything else that they wanted to, to mention or throw out there, but the final thing for me in looking at this was, you know, a lot of people at this time of the season were talking about, you know, Jim Chaney, he's not, you know, overpaid, he can't get anything done. Man, the first two football games, and you saw it throughout the year at times, first two football games, they had people running open. I mean, schematically, they got people, I mean, they, they – Again, they should have scored 35, 40 points in this game, in my opinion, if they can execute. So schematically, things are, are things work and things are there. This, the question is, how much can they improve their execution on it moving forward? Because it was okay at times during the season, never good. But looking back on these two games, man, there were a lot of people running open. He had a lot of people free. Yeah, they did. And and my, I guess one of my lasting thoughts is, you know, this is – uh, you know, Tennessee's offensive line, they shortened the rotation a little bit in this game, but, you know, they clearly, this, this game kind of showed uh, the next, you know, however many weeks, really the rest of the season, frankly, um, kind of the up and down nature of Darnell Wright. You know, he got benched pretty early in this game, so they went to Marcus Tatum. That There wasn't as much faith in even Wanye in this game. That's why you saw Jameer Johnson play so much. Um, but you started to see Trey Smith kind of get his legs underneath him a little bit more in this game. And I think that's going to be something that continues as the season goes along because they ran behind him a lot. Um, and so ultimately, obviously, we know Jameer's going to get into the doghouse. He's going to get hurt and Wanya is going to take over at left tackle. Um, but you kind of saw the, 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 the up and down nature of Darnell because he did not get a ton of time and he seeded a lot of snaps. Uh, to Marcus Tatum, who, as we know, you know, ultimately ended up leaving the team and wasn't even, you know, uh, with the balls by the end. So, yeah, and they they struggled greatly at right guard, Rob. Uh, they they did all year long, but to, I mean, to me, my biggest takeaway from this game, and I don't I mean I'm not trying to pile on the kid because I mean he obviously got better as the year went on. It was a big part of Tennessee finishing on a winning streak, but to me, this this game was just and AP. You said it earlier. It's kind of it was kind of Jarrett. It, you know, this a microcosm of what his whole season was a little bit. He made two horrible decisions inside the five-yard line with the football. They got away with one of them that was deflected. He called for a touchdown. The other one, you know, um, he tried to force into Juwan. The interception he threw to start the third quarter, um, you know, turned out to be huge, just just in, incredibly costly. And like you said, Hubbard, if you go back and look, I mean, I, I remember it from the time, but when you, especially when you go back and look, there were, there were guys just running – just naked down the field. And really the only time I can remember him finding one was a Juwan near the end of the first quarter, started the second quarter, hit him on a big play. Um, 
and, and to me, he, he, he was – everything, there was no touch on the football. I mean, was, everything was like a 95-mile-an-hour fastball that he was throwing. You know, didn't see guys. And, and again, he, he got a million times better, but I thought that was just a kind of a real – in a nutshell, a quarterback not, not, not seeing the same thing as offensive coordinator in a football game. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Tennessee 0-2 on the season. Great disappointment that night. There were some positives, though, as we've talked about here. Some signs of life moving forward. Trey Smith getting his legs under him. Eric Gray, uh, his playmaking. And then defensively, we saw some things out of out of certainly Henry uh, T. in that game. And Daryl Taylor showed some signs moving forward as well. So, in, in an ugly loss, some positives there, and Tennessee builds on them next week against Chattanooga. We'll talk about that game and continue to review uh, the 2019 football season each week here on the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast. For Austin Price, Rob Lewis, Jesse Simonton, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us, everybody. <laughs>